Welcome to Crafting Solutions to Conflict, a podcast exploring how to deal effectively with conflict, actual and potential, good and bad. Engaging guests discuss a range of insights, and I cover tips and topics based on my 35-year fascination with conflict and my experience helping people with it. I'm your host, Jane Bettle, and my goal is to share a perspective on conflict that is both practical and positive. My guest today is Bookie Masaku, author of I Don't Understand, Navigating Unconscious Bias in the Workplace. We discuss the inevitability of unconscious bias in the workplace and recognizing that it isn't always a one-way street. We talk about simple and complex unconscious bias, how to think about bias, and concrete steps for each of us to take to address it. Most specifically, using the simple phrase, I don't understand, delivered as a question to start a conversation about bias. Hello, Bookie, and thank you for joining me on the show today. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I am looking forward to talking with you about your book. But before we get to that, tell us a bit about how you came to be doing the work you're doing and what made you decide to write the book. Well, look, you know, I was in consulting and have been in consulting. I'm in my 23rd year now, and I ran a a consultancy communication and sales training and development practice working with corporates. And during that over a 20-year period, you know, I was exposed to uh, traditional uh, unconscious bias trainings and, and so forth, which I always felt that they could be addressed slightly differently. And But apart from that, I also was on, I was exposed um, to racial bias, Yes, you know, in the course of doing my work, in the course of being a practitioner, selling what I was doing, and also as a person delivering communication, sales, development solutions. And mm-hmm. now when I say that I was exposed to racial bias, um, people always think, oh, he's a black guy. He must have been on the receiving end. He must have been on the receiving end and been confronted with racial bias in the pursuit of his uh, consulting work and and whilst he was doing it. But, and that's, that is the case. But it, in many cases, it was m- my bias towards the majority. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it was the majority towards me, but other times it was me towards a majority. Okay. This used to confuse me. Like I would do a deal and I wouldn't hear from the, 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 the prospect. And I would feel that these guys, I sensed bias. I sensed racial bias. And um, I would be cursing out the, uh, uh, the decision maker or decision makers. And then maybe two weeks later, I'd get a call and they'd say, hey, Bookie, we loved you. And then I think, oh, my God, thank God people can't read minds. If they yes. knew what I was thinking and saying about them, <laughs> they wouldn't be so happy to give me the business. Right. right? So this started to uh, uh, kind of confuse me. And I wish I could say that happened once in 20 years or three times or five times. It happened many times. So I was confused because sometimes I was right when I sensed 
in this case, racial bias. And other times I was wrong. Mm -hmm. So this kind of, I just found myself saying, I don't understand. Right. Right. Because I didn't understand. Right. And the other side of this was that um, I also realized that whenever you're on the receiving end of any kind of injustice you or bias related, be it racial bias based on disability, based on sexual orientation, based on gender, gen- gender my- minority, gen- whatever it is, right? You always tend to have a feeling, which is, mm-hmm. I just don't understand how people could be so insensitive. Right. How can somebody be so wicked and so nice in the same, in the same breath? You know, the injustice, the incivility of this behavior. And you're calling it in. And the overwhelming feeling is I just don't understand how people could do this. So I started to say, well, what instead of calling it in, what if I could call it out? Instead of telling myself I don't understand how they are doing this, what if I could say that to them? And that led me to a quest to understand how to navigate uh, what I describe as the inevitability of unconscious bias in the workplace and ultimately gave me the title of my book and the methodology, which is IDU, which stands for I Don't Understand. Perfect. It's wonderfully clear when you describe your path to writing the book and your experiences. One of the things that I enjoyed right off the bat, and I don't even know if this is preface or introduction, it might even be (laughs) preface, is that you tell us right off that you have two perspectives. And I actually, when I look at it, I think it's it's one and two A and two B. And one was research. And then the other is your personal experiences. And let me restate that, your personal observations, because this is your life and your experiences with clients. And what I particularly like is many people have one perspective or another But you have shown us this spectrum that puts you in a particularly strong place to be able to address this question. Yeah. 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 I agree. I'm I'm waiting to hear what you perceive that 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 spectrum is. <laughs> well, I think it's it's so interesting that there are people who do research on whatever yeah. topic and they that's lovely and it's wonderful and it's important and all those good things. And then there are other people who speak only from, oh, well, this is my own personal experience in the world, and Mm. therefore I have much to offer. Not everybody does both, and I value that you were able to do both. And let me say, regular listeners will know this is a compliment, that your book is dense. And by that, (laughs) I mean the opposite of fluff. There is a (laughs) lot here. There is a lot of detail. There are some excellent stories that illustrate concepts you want us to be able to get. And we will not be able to do all of them, but we certainly will have an introduction. So just be clear, listeners, this is not showing you the entire book. There's a lot there. One thing I would like you to do for us is Mm. clarify exactly what you mean when you are talking about this unconscious bias. I will actually ask you to read a couple of lines from your book in the introduction, you tell us what your understanding of that term is. Yeah, I happily do that. So I define unconscious bias as career stifling behavior or decisions driven by negative societal conditioning toward minorities or marginalized groups. It also includes any conditioned negative views toward a majority 
that drive negative perceptions and behavior in the workplace toward that group. All stem from societal conditioning and past experiences. Tell us a little bit more about that. And in particular, what I find so helpful is you've already mentioned the word inevitable. And what is clear here, two things, I think, but I'll ask you to expound a bit more. It's not something, well, the inevitable goes along with the social piece, but also, and this is not everyone's perspective and not what everyone wants to talk about. I won't say two-way street, but I will say that is not all a one-way street. Tell us a bit more about your thoughts on that. Yeah, no, I I actually would concur with what you wouldn't say. So maybe <laughs> okay. I can say it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> unconscious bias as defined, career-stifling unconscious bias that leads to underrepresentation of minorities. And I, I, I cut across all minorities, but I'll talk from a black perspective in this moment, is, is a two-way street. It's, it's a two-way street. That is, and in order, to, and because it's a two-way street, you, we have to accept that in order to navigate it. And if we don't accept that, it becomes very difficult to navigate it. See, you could be my boss and you can make a decision which is unfavorable towards me. Okay. Right. Or I sense to be unfavorable towards me. And as a result, in that moment, I sense bias. Mm -hmm. Now, when I sense bias, I'm 100% correct. I am 100% correct, without a doubt, unequivocally correct. But here's a problem I could be sensing your bias towards me. Or I could be sensing my bias towards you. Right. But the problem mm-hmm. is yeah. we shortcut to what we've been conditioned to think, which is that it would always be your bias towards me. But in reality, I could misinterpret that. That's why it's called unconscious bias. That's why it's called implicit bias, right? Because it's not, it's not conscious. It's not, di- you know, right. it's not, if it was conscious bias, it would be called explicit, but right. it's implicit which means there's room for misinterpretation. And the minute I misinterpret your behavior, your decisions, your comments as driven by unconscious bias, I become the perpetrator Mm -hmm. of bias and you become the victim, regardless Mm -hmm. of your seniority. And so we have to accept the multidirectional nature of bias in the moment. Because once we accept the multidirectional nature of bias, and here's where it's such a beautiful thing when we do, Once we accept the multidirectional nature of bias, we can then allow for our misinterpretation whenever we sense bias. But of course, if we don't accept the multidirectional nature, we can't. Right. Two things just jump right out. One I know came up several times in your book, and that's the idea of things in the moment. The awareness that we can gain to be noticing ourselves, thinking about the situation well in the moment. And the other piece that seems to just sing to me is the very humanness of this approach, that we are humans, imperfect, all of us, all the time. We learn from our own experiences. We are conditioned by the society we live in and the sub-pieces of that society. And we have to accept that. That goes with the the sense of it being inevitable. Then what do we do? Where, where do we go from there, given that this is the way life is and is going to be? Where do we, What's our next step? Yeah, yeah. I, I so agree with that. And I think the beautiful thing that you said there is that we're humans, right? So bias is a, you know, is a human thing, and it affects us all. Now, 
yeah, historically, some of us, some of our group, of this human group, have been on the wrong end of bias more than others. But that doesn't detract from the fact that we are all biased. So we all have the propensity to misinterpret behaviors towards us as driven by unconscious bias, given that we're all biased. And it's important for us to acknowledge that. And the problem is, is that the majority in corporates, for example, don't want to openly acknowledge that. And the reason they don't want to openly acknowledge that is because they don't want to seem unsympathetic to the equality cause. Right. So they don't say anything. Right. Yes. Right. And the minorities don't want to acknowledge that uh, because they're too caught up in uh, pain and retribution for things which have happened historically, either to them on a personal level or wider or generally in history. Yeah. And so they don't want to acknowledge that. And in the process, what happens is that they actually sustain the status quo because they're not able to navigate bias when they're confronted by it. Mm-hmm. So they they subscribe or they buy into uh, what I describe as a unidirectional view mm-hmm. of unconscious bias, of workplace bias. But as we've seen, it's multidirectional. And when you buy into a unidirectional view of unconscious bias, you subscribe to what I describe as the guilty perpetrator versus hapless victim model. Mm-hmm. That is, there are these people who look a certain way, walk and talk a certain way. They are the guilty perpetrator by default. Yes. And there are these people who look a certain way and walk and talk a certain way, and they are the hapless victim by default. Now, the problem with that, and, and by the way, this is a model that 99.99999% of organizations throughout the world, right? right. Let's start with the states, right? <laughs> okay. Right? right? Subscribe to, and all the business schools subscribe mm. to this model. Yeah. And it seems like the right thing to do. That is that we, the majority, are the guilty perpetrators. We need to sort this out. We are tapped into um, systemic biases which hold people that are different from us back. We're tapped into that. And because of that, we're making decisions which are excluding people. And we need to give them more representation. This is what people buy into. True. And it sounds like it sounds like the right thing to do. Right. But the reality is, is when the majority do that, right? And I like I said, 99.999% of the world, right, in power is doing this. When they do that, they actually exclude the minority from Mm -hmm. the resolution model. Right, yeah. They're saying, sit down. We're going to sort this out. You don't worry. Sit down. We've taken this on our shoulders. It's us. We are going to deal with it. But in the process, you actually exclude the minority. So they have no say-so in their betterment, in their development. And as a result, they have to sit down and hope and wait for your empathy for things to change. And in the process, you know, they're not part of the resolution model. And as a result, they can't actually navigate bias that they sense because they're reliant on you uh, to do that for them because they don't have the space, the psychological safety to call it out. And even if they did, they've been conditioned not to do that. And the majority have been conditioned not to have them do that. Right. And so we're in a situation where we're just coming up with strategies based on a one-way street view of bias, when actually 
it's a two-way street. And when you accept it's a two-way street, you're actually being inclusive as yes. opposed to exclusive. Right. Does that right. make sense? Absolutely. And as you describe it, I hear this unhealthy cycle of, well, we that's the way we do it. That's the way we do it. That's the way we do it. And it's not particularly helpful or empowering to anybody to be stuck in this. So help us get unstuck. Tell us, what do we do to get out of this? Well, I think, look, I think the number one thing that we can do, and then I'll give you some actual steps, right? But I think the number one thing that we can do is accept the multidirectional nature Mm -hmm. of workplace bias. Everybody listening to this just accepted the multidirectional nature of workplace bias. We would have taken huge strides. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And if you don't accept the multidirectional nature of workplace, by what I'm going to tell you are next in terms of steps isn't going, you won't be able to apply them. <laughs> well, you need to read the first part of the book to understand why this makes sense. And now let's just assume we are all on the same page. This does make sense. Right. Now, what do we do? Okay. So there are two forms of bias, right? Two types, sorry, two types of bias, right? So there's what I describe as simple career stifling bias. This is microaggressions, right? These are microaggressions, right? Uh, These are subtle slights, could be about age, could be about sexual orientation, could be uh, related to your your minority, ethnicity, whatever. So people used to say to me when I started speaking, oh, Bookie, you speak so well, right? And my internal dialogue, and there's usually majority people, obviously, since I was, you know, I'm a minority. So my internal dialogue was why? Because I'm a black guy. That's why you think I speak so well. I'm a client facing graduate, just like you. Why would you say that? And I would get all upset. Yeah. And then I thought to myself, and then afterwards, I think, but hang on, maybe they just thought I spoke well compared to the last person. So should I be getting upset here? And this used to do my head in. I can imagine you could go around in circles for a while on that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it always seemed to happen to me in the morning. See, they're oh, not no. ruining my lunch. The whole day. <laughs> and lunch is so important. It's way too important to ruin. Oh, right? dear. Yes. So, so I thought I need to sort this out. So I thought whenever I, on, on the receiving end of what I perceive to be a microaggression, I'm going to follow these three steps, right? I'm going to give the person the benefit of the doubt. And the reason I'm giving a person the benefit of the doubt is because I could be misinterpreting things, right? So I give the person the benefit of the doubt, right? And then lightly recondition them. So if a person says, you speak so well, right? If a person says, you speak so well, assume that they're genuine and just say to them, well, don't assume it's a backhanded compliment about people that look like you, right? right? And just say to them, thank you. You speak so well too. I love that. I love that. Right? Multidirectional. Exactly. And the other thing is, you, if, you could say, if you sense something slight, you could just say, you sound surprised, and then move on and enjoy your lunch. Right. You don't need to start questioning yourself or having this negative circular thinking, right? So that's how I deal with microaggressions. And the problem with microaggressions is that it's the cumulative effect of microaggressions which does the problem. But okay. when you handle it in that way, so give the person the benefit of the doubt, recondition them, and then move on and enjoy your lunch. The slight semi-reconditioning gets the other person to think. And so you've kind of interrupted any kind of unconscious or conscious bias that's led to the potential microaggression, but you've Mm -hmm. done it a way which keeps your relationship intact and allows you to move on. And if the person has an issue, they'll have a conversation with you, which would would move things forward. Yes. Um, 
Does that make sense? Absolutely. It's so simple <laughs> and so powerful that yeah. you move things forward with this other person and you also take it off yourself. Exactly. I did this. I now will go on with the rest of my day, the rest of my life. I'm not carrying this exactly as a thorn in my side. Exactly. So that's the first. And so that's, so that's simple career stifling bias. But then there's complex career stifling bias, right? Now, this is the stuff which I actually think leads to the kind of underrepresentation that we don't seem to be able to get out of in the United States and the rest of the world, right? I'm going to very quickly call some figures and then show sure. you how, yeah. right? So in the Fortune 500, there are only seven black CEOs, Amazing. seven, yeah. right? Yeah. And it only went up to that yesterday. I mean, like in, 20, <laughs> in 2020, there were four. In 2021, there were five. Whoopee, what a huge jump. You know, let's all get some beers and have some champagne and celebrate, right? It went up to five. In 2022, it became six. And then in 2023, it's seven. In terms of women, there are only 53 female CEOs in the Fortune 500. Mm -hmm. In a whole America, there are only 53 women who you know are capable of being CEOs apparently apparently in America yeah. and that was 43 in 2020 it mm-hmm. then went up to 20 i think 44 in 2021 and then between 2022 and 23 huge jump and went and became uh, a 53 wow yep so it looks like there've been big strides but it's abysmal really those numbers right yeah. uh, so my thing is the reason that is the way it is is it's because it's not organic growth. It's not organic increase. It's an artificial increase, which has been driven by pressure okay. on the top to change things. In order to drive organic growth, organic increase in representation, we have to equip people, both the minority and the majority, with skills to call it out. And I think complex bias, what I'm going to complex career stifling bias, represents the biggest challenge. And there are four and a half steps which, I, which I'm going to share with you, which will like a, an edited highlights version of how to navigate this. Okay. So step one, and this is really important, is set your mindset. Set your mindset. That is, leave your luggage in the lobby, right? Leave it at the door. Baggage that you, based on what you can see around you, based on the representation that you can see around you is really understandable, but you've got to drop it. Yeah. Uh, you may be suspicious of your, of your boss, right? or your bosses, right? Based on what you can see around you, based on the re- level of representation. Sure. But you have to drop that. Right. Now, why do you think I'm suggesting you have to drop that? Jim? It's not going to help you. Yeah, why? It's going to hold you back. The weight of it. Exactly. The weight of it is a burden on you. Yeah. And it's not going to help you move forward. Exactly, exactly. And the, exactly. And the other reason, which links into that, right, is in our process, it's the only way that you can get to step two. Mm-hmm. Right. So the question then becomes, well, what is step two? Right. And step two is give everybody the benefit of the doubt. Give everybody. So we've looked at two steps. Step one is set your mindset. Right. Leave your baggage in the lobby. Leave your baggage at the door. You need to be like Daniel from the Karate Kid. Right. I don't know if you saw that movie. (laughs) Well, anyway, Mr. Miyagi, his teacher, Daniel's been bullied and Daniel is scared and he has his final fight. And he's scared because he's, he's thinking about the bullying that he's had. And Mr. Miyagi says to him, empty your head. 
empty mm-hmm. your head. And the reason he's saying that is because he needs to have clarity. But of course, you can't have clarity if your wisdom and your vision is impaired by baggage. So you need to leave the baggage, you need to drop it. And if you drop the baggage, you can then move to step two. You can give everybody the benefit of the doubt. But of course, you can't give people the benefit of the doubt if you're carrying baggage with you. So step two is give everybody the benefit of the doubt. But here's the rub. Give them the benefit of the doubt, but call them out anyway. Call them out anyway. So when I say this in workshops and when I'm doing keynotes, people say to me, well, how could you possibly give a person the benefit of the doubt, but call them out anyway? And the way to give a person the benefit of the doubt, but call them out anyway, and that's moving to step three, is to use these three powerful words. I don't understand. Perfect. That's it. Just tell them you don't understand. It's the purest. It's the most unscathed place you can come from. Mm -hmm. And guess what? There's more good news. When you say, I don't understand, and you turn it into a question, as in, I don't understand, what happens is that you invoke our natural instinct to give direction. Okay. That is, the person will say to you, what don't you understand? Or they'll say to you, well, let me explain. Let me elaborate. But either way, you've now got into an otherwise sticky conversation about bias. Yeah. And that I don't understand, that statement turned question, right? We define that or I define that as dispassionate developmental inquiry, engaging in dispassionate developmental inquiry. And the key is to stay on that line of questioning as you navigate the conversation. Just come from a place of dispassionate developmental inquiry. And because it's our natural instinct to give direction, the person will always answer. And what will happen is that as long as you stay on that line of questioning, you're going to unearth the bias. Mm -hmm. You don't need to say you gave the job to her, but you didn't give it to me because of X, Y, and Z. No. (laughs) What will happen is that 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 will come out. But what also could come out is your bias, your reverse bias. Because there are two forms of bias. There's directional bias, which is towards you, which everybody knows because of your race, your gender, etc. Right? But there's also reverse bias, your misinterpretation of unfavorable or sensed unfavorable decisions and behaviors as driven by bias. So when you follow this I don't understand type of questioning or developmental inquiry, what you're going to find is that you're going to unearth either directional bias towards you or reverse bias, mm-hmm. your own reverse bias towards the other person or person. I imagine both are possible. Or both, both sometimes. Very good point. And so then what you can do is now collaboratively, and this is the fourth step, collaboratively work with that person um, to agree next steps. And mm-hmm. if the bias is towards you, Remember, we're talking about unconscious bias. This isn't like a bad person, right? We're talking about unconscious bias. It would be unearthed. And our experience is that when this bias is unearthed and it's towards you, the person will work with you collaboratively to seek what I describe as worthy recompense Mm -hmm. for your loss. So they'll work with you. Not an aggressive is the wrong word. Yeah, yeah. But they will be proactive in trying to resolve this situation in a way which makes you better than it was before. Fabulous. Does that make sense? All of it. All of it. And there are two things to come to my mind, my favorite things. One is practical and the other is positive. This is not a, we're all doomed. This is a, well, (laughs) let's let's figure out what we're going to do here. Let's try to get better at dealing with this inevitable challenge that is here today and will be around for a while 
let's work on this. This has been so helpful and we could go into so much detail, but we're plumb out of time. So I want to ask you to share with listeners where they can find out more about you and the work you do and about the book. Yeah, sure. So they can find me and about me at bukimasaku.com, B-U-K-I-M-O-S for sugar, A-K-U.com, right? You'll find a lot of information there about me and the book. The book is available on Amazon and all outlets, all retail outlets published by Business Expert Press. They can also, I would encourage those of you who are parts of organizations, companies, or just for yourself to go to navigatingbias.com. Okay. And that has Masaku's bias navigation test. And it enables you to establish what your perspective is on bias in the workplace, career stifling bias, and how you're addressing it and how you could more effectively address it. It's 90 seconds and I think it's worth doing and it's free. Fabulous. Yeah, those are the places where you can find, and of course, sorry, all the social media, so LinkedIn and all the other channels. Well, I will put all of this information in the show notes for today, of course. And as I said early on, the book is dense. We have skimmed a little bit of the surface. There are a lot of great stories that serve as tremendous examples to understand some of these concepts even better and ideas that we didn't have time to get to. So there's a lot there, but I do appreciate your coming on and giving us an introduction. Great. No, it's been a pleasure. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy the Crafting Solutions to Conflict podcast, please tell a friend, share it, leave a rating or review. When you spread the word, more people have a chance to enjoy the show. You can also sign up for new weekly episodes on your favorite app. Whatever setting works best for you and is free. You don't need to pay to listen. You can also find the show at CraftingSolutionsToConflict.com. Comments or ideas? Let me know. Until next time, I'm Jane.